This program is brought to you by P1 Australia Racing Components, the designer of the oil heat mats for dry sump tank applications. Find out more about the truths on engine oil heating at p1australia.com. You love supercars and keeping up to speed sometimes means hitting the rev limiter? Welcome to the Gates Rev Limiter Podcast. After each round, we unpack what happened. Join Andrew Clark. We've paused a fraction and got it right, and they probably still would have won the race. I mean, and yours truly, Neville Wilkinson. These are the heady days when Ford was spending megabucks for all the action, all the controversy, and sometimes a little emotion. The Gates Rev Limited Supercars Podcast. Subscribe now on Apple, Spotify, or where you listen to them. Thunder Media. Hi, I'm Chas Mostert. Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. And you're listening to Inside Supercars. From the racetracks across Australia, and here's Inside Supercars. On this episode of Inside Supercars, we hear from Matt Stone about that winning feeling in Darwin and how he's looking to get it back this weekend at Sydney Motorsport Park. It was a great moment for the whole team and for myself personally to to do that and, and you know do it up in Darwin where it's a you know, it's a great place to be. Um, but now we look to, to do it again and, and just keep striving forward. Matt Stone joins us on Inside Supercars and it starts now. Is this for your podcast? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Welcome to Inside Supercars. Tony Whitlock, it's Eastern Creek. It's day one, so to speak, although the supercars aren't on track. I'm with Matt Stone and Matt Stone Racing. Welcome back to the show. Um, wanted to talk to you and get your feelings about the impact of Jack LeBrock's win up in Darwin. Because obviously it was something that you've worked a long time for um, and knew it was going to happen at some stage. Um, certainly your father told me it would. So tell us why the impact that that has had on the team and you personally. Yeah, look, I mean, I think it was something that we'd been striving for and we always said Gen 3 was our opportunity with a bit of a reset. So it's been good to tick the box and show that we, you know, we've risen to that opportunity and, and delivered that that win. Um, I think we've left a bit on the table this year where we haven't quite had things go to plan and we probably could have had a few more podiums. So certainly now we're hungry for it. We want to get out there and and see if we can have a, sec- a pretty strong second half of the year. Um, but the actual win itself was, you know, it was just a really good thing, um, good validation for our team because, you know, we started as a rookie team with rookie drivers and, you know, we've been growing each year and, you know, now we're, we're sort of at the point where we want to be not just a rookie team like Toro Rosso, but we want to, you know, we want to establish ourselves as a, a, a genuine performer on the grid um, and show that, you know, every year we do one step better than the year before and, you know, that trajectory leads only one place and that's the top so that's where we're serious about getting so to get that first win is just I guess a big validation that we are on the path that we want to be on and you know the biggest it was a great moment for the whole team and for myself personally to to do that and and you know do it up in Darwin where it's a you know it's a great place to be um, but now we look to to do it again and, and just keep striving forward. One of the things that was so obvious that weekend because clearly Jack went from pole so it was built on speed. It wasn't a luck-in. It wasn't somebody dropped a wheel nut. There was none of those sort of things that happened to anybody else. It was your team, your speed, your cars. Um, that in itself is quite something that, you know, is, is tremendously satisfying, I imagine. 
Absolutely. You know, for, this is um, you know it was a big undertaking from the beginning where we built our own cars in house um, for the first time. You know, brand new cars for the first time, um, and you know we really pushing everything we can to you know to put our our knowledge and our intellect into trying to achieve this exact goal so um, we feel we've had really good pace all year you know we had some strong runnings early on in the season um, for the last three rounds now we've qualified on the front row um, in one of the races um, we've had a few just little things where you know you're still learning the car so you don't quite quite get the setup right for the race or you know the pit stops weren't quite on point when they needed to be um, that Townsville, for example, we, we didn't get the strategy right and the safe, with the safety cars. So, you know, we've had a lot of those sort of things that are affecting our outright results, but the underlying performance is there. Um, and and that's, the, that's probably the biggest factor, you know. The, the best strategy is race pace, and I feel like we've got car pace in qualifying, and, and, you know, when we get the races right, we've got race pace. So, you know, we as a team, we're just working on filling all the little gaps and limiting all the mistakes. and and trying to really get to the front and start staying there and showing people that we, we belong to be there. And there's no shadow of a doubt because with Jack, as, as not somebody who's trying to maintain his seat, he's got a contract, um, he feels secure in it because he's been in the series long enough, um, and bringing in someone like Cameron Hill must energise Jack as well. Yeah, look, I think the, you know, the rookie and the pro is the, the dynamic that, you know, really is working for us you know we've we've ran all rookie lineups and you know you you're really struggling to find that grounding you know is it is it experience is it the car is it the equipment um, whereas you know now we've got Jack who who knows what he's doing um, so you know we can really use that as a benchmark to know where Cam's at and what we need to do there um, we obviously had you know two experienced guys last year but you know that didn't really fruit the rewards that we'd hoped so I really think the the rookie and the pro dynamic that we've got is working for us, and you know I think Cam's um, Cam's showing a lot of early promise. Again, you know there's some things in the background that have probably hampered his results on paper, but we see the speed and the potential there, and you know it gives us a lot of excitement about his career. I mean, also being a race man, he's been around motor racing all his life, and the fact his father's in the business, he runs his own Formula Fords, and you know there's, there's enormous dynamics with what he brings in himself, isn't he? Yeah, and I think the biggest thing that both our drivers have got that I think is the key key factor is just a bit of a, you know, a not too stressed and a bit of a can-do attitude. You know, like there's a, it's not not too much phasism. They don't lose their cool and they're they're good at working through any problems and and you know building building up to the results. So I think that cool head on their shoulders and and you know the ability to go out there on the race and bang a few doors and get in an awkward situation but keep your head cool and keep 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 focusing on the goal um, you know that's quality I see in both our drivers that to me is um, is a crucial one speaking of such things you've got something in your corner that most other people in fact no one else in this paddock has you've got one Jim Stone behind you I mean as a father obviously you learnt your racing and you learnt the way to go about it that he does and has done for most of his life um, I, you know, I have enormous respect and admiration for, for what he's achieved in his time. It must be enormously satisfying to have somebody who has done so much in the sport, both here and internationally. Oh, absolutely. You know, everything I know I learnt from, from Jimmy and, you know, I've, I've gone to work every day for the last 20 years and, you know, I had the, had the pleasure of going to work with him and, and, you know, even now that he's retired, he's still still there, still an invaluable asset to the team with the knowledge and the help that he can he can give to 
um, you know, a lot of the young mechanics, young engineers, and, and myself still, you know, even in this day, um, you know, he's still my biggest, uh, my biggest advisor, and you know, like, really, it's, um, it's great that we can start trying to, I guess, follow in those footsteps a little bit, um, and build the process of, build process of wins up, and you know, hopefully build up to the build up to those championships in the coming years and, and you know maybe even that elusive Bathurst um, like certainly that's our big thing now is we've won a race we've shown we can do it we know where the holes in our game are and now we want to go out there and, and win a Bathurst and, and really show that we can put a whole day together Okay um, just talking Gen 3 for a second and I, and I don't really want to be at all negative about it the one great thing that has been shown, and I had a conversation with Steve Horn in New Zealand earlier this year, the one great thing is that it has demonstrated is that on any given day, any given team driver can get up and win. And that's not meant in any way to belittle anybody, it's the fact that you've got a level of playing field than there's ever been before. The gaps in qualifying are minuscule and the cars are competitive. Okay, there are some parity issues that, you know, may be there or may not be, but um, it must be uh, thrilling to be involved in the category where it is so tight. Yeah, like, I um, obviously a lot of critics inside and outside of pit lane with the whole Gen 3 thing, and I think, um, you know, I always said right from the beginning that there's three pillars that Gen 3 will be judged on. The first being the look and feel, and I think that was successful very early on. They look great, sound great, you know, all of that. That was a huge tick. The second was cost and sustainability. You know, that one was a, 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 a huge failure, to, um, to put it politely. Um, and, you know, it didn't tick the boxes, but, you know, so that's one in the positive, one in the negative. So when it became evident when we were building these cars that cost was not going to be a, a good outcome, um, you know, I said, look, that's fine as long as it delivers on, you know, the third goal, which was the racing, you know. We wanted better racing, more overtaking, more competitive class um, and exactly like you said where it's less about the team with the biggest engineering department and the biggest budget having the best car and it's more about the people that got the day right and got the philosophy right coming into the weekend and on that I think Gen 3 has definitely been successful so yeah that's two to one which says you know despite the cost the product is better um, the racing is better um, you know that we will get through some of the uh the niggly bits with these cars that are not ideal, you know, the teams will always um, work together as a group and fix them over the, the coming seasons. And, and you know, the cost is cost blowout is just the way of the world at the moment. So I think we've just got to take that and, and look on the fact that we've got good cars to race and they're racing well. And this parity is it isn't whatever, you know, that's, um, that's something that supercars are obviously taking seriously and working on. And, and hopefully that can be um, put to bed and we can, we can all just get on with having good racing. Okay, now um, this year is the smallest calendar I can remember in a long time, 12, 12 rounds. Um, and, you know, obviously partially that would help with the cost, allay the cost of the, the building these cars, uh, not having to do 14 or 16 rounds or whatever. Um, talk about overseas, um, you know, it just seems a bit pie in the sky to be talking about Singapore Grand Prix. I'm talking to um, Paul Marinelli, who for eight or ten years has been doing commentary up at uh, support categories in, in Singapore, and he says there's barely any room there. <laughs> you know, it just it would be impossible. You couldn't get the cars out in time because F1 would be, you know, F2 and F3, they'd all be in front of the queue. The idea of racing in the Formula One world, apart from Albert Park, just seems to be too far away. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, the international thing's an interesting uh, interesting side of supercars. You know, we've had a few different flares of it. Um, first of all, New Zealand's a must. We've got to get back there. That's not a, To me, that's not an international round. That's just an Australian... Would, would you think two rounds should be done there? I mean, if you could do it uh, two rounds, not at separate times a year, go once... Back-to-back -back weekends, North and South Island or something like Look, that? Look, I think that would be great. Um, it just comes down to the commercial realities of, yep. is it, um, like, obviously, logistically, it would be a bonus for everyone because you're getting two for, two for one trip. Um, uh, but commercially, is there, the is there the audience, the crowds, to have two events so close together? Sure. And, and that's something supercars need to work to. But obviously, um, the most important thing for me is that we go back to New Zealand and, and obviously if we could have two there, that'd be great. Yep. Um, and I think, you know, hopefully that's all on track to, to make that happen for, for next season. Um, and yeah, the, the 12 rounds, is a, it's a nice number, but it could certainly be more, but it's also a slippery slope. You know, when we were running 16, 17 rounds, um, it can be a huge toll on the teams and a, uh, in terms of workload and a massive toll on their, their budgets because it doesn't necessarily... Um, in the old style, add to the the income of the team, so the extra rounds are coming out of the, you know, coming out of thin air in terms of how to pay for them. So, yeah. but the international thing is is definitely interesting. Like, it's great those international flares that the categories had over the years. It's great for the teams and the industry to sort of have that experience and excitement of going over there. It's great for the Aussie fan that wants to do an overseas holiday and have a bit of familiarity at the same time. Um, it doesn't seem to be fantastic because most of us for our sponsors because most of them you know don't have a multinational uh, brand so the sponsorship side is is never really that much of a thing um, and it's a good spectacle to watch on TV new tracks new atmospheres um, so I would say they're great opportunities and I really enjoyed all the ones in the past but they've never stacked up commercially because you know the sponsors don't get their they get the TV exposure at, equivalent of Winton because it's um you know it's just a TV only round there's no 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 local crowds yeah. so I, I hope that we do do it because it is a good thing for supercars to be out there on the world stage and it's great for the the people um the men and women in the industry to do it um and I hope that supercars can put a commercial model together that means if we do it it's sustainable and long long lasting mm -hmm. um but I'll leave that for for them to figure out um and hopefully see what they come up with. Uh, news has just come out that Canberra has, uh, has knocked back the proposal to uh, race around the streets of Canberra again. Um, you weren't old enough to be involved in that, but uh, um, you might have seen footage of that time. Yeah, like the, I think the one thing I remember Canberra for is the, uh, the Marcus Ambrose wheel rolling, yes. rolling all the way down the track. And, remote control. And adding itself to the tie bundle all on its own. But... Um, yeah, I was still in high school when that, that incident occurred um, in early 2000s. Um, I, everything, I never went to Canberra, one of the few tracks I've never, um, never been to in Australia. And the one thing everyone tells you is the very first thing was it was narrow, bloody narrow. Narrow, you know, cold and wet. Yeah, well, any time we go south of Queensland, it's usually cold and wet. But um, So look, I, I, I didn't really look too much into the Canberra thing, like always open for a new new opportunity to take the cars and new tracks but I, I didn't really see it happening um, and yeah obviously like you said it, it, it's not not on the immediate short-term future um, so that's a shame but I think there's plenty of plenty of Australian tracks that are quality tracks that aren't on the calendar at the moment yep. that you know probably probably are more practical and to have a look at them um, before we start looking at 
going back to the, the in windy little streets of Canberra. Yes. Well, I mean, terrific to be here again at Sydney Motorsport Park because it's a big track, wide open, and the sound, you know, the cars will just sound fantastic here. Yeah, and I think this will be hopefully, um, yeah, some good racing like we saw at the Grand Prix where, you know, Sydney is a wide open track, it's got a couple of really good overtaking opportunities, so, you know, we should be able to see overtaking. And if the, if the wet, you know, being a night race, the conditions will be cooler. So, you know, I think the, to, in my opinion, one of the biggest hurdles facing these Gen 3 cars with the overtaking factor is the temperature of the tyres. Um, you know, the front, front tyres are certainly copping a lot more heat than the old Gen car, and it is the same tyre. Um, and that's what usually limits the overtaking at some of the last couple of hot rounds we've been to. So I'm thinking with the cold rounds here, racing at night, um, and a track that does favour itself for overtaking, um, this could be some pretty exciting racing. All right, well, thank you very much, Matt Stone. Greatly appreciate your words and thoughts and uh, look forward to seeing more success for MSR. Hopefully, uh, hopefully as early as tomorrow night. That's certainly what we'll be trying for and hopefully we can deliver. I hope so too. Thank you, Matt Stone. No worries. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next time for more or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. You love supercars and keeping up to speed sometimes means hitting the rev limiter? Welcome to the Gates Rev Limiter Podcast. After each round, we unpack what happened. Join Andrew Clark. Would have paused the fraction and got it right, and they probably still would have won the race. I mean, and yours truly, Neville Wilkinson. These are the heady days when Ford was spending mega bucks for all the action, all the controversy, and sometimes a little emotion. The Gates Rev Limited Supercars Podcast. Subscribe now on Apple, Spotify, or where you listen to them.